Hey y'all. So when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Campsite Media. Welcome to Infamous, a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis, and this is a three-part series. It's called Fool Me Twice. This week, we have a story about a man who wanted to be a kind of puppeteer behind powerful people. He became a Washington insider, a Republican operative, and he conned dozens of people out of millions of dollars along the way. He denies any wrongdoing, just so you know. His schemes earned him a heavy prison sentence, but he got out early. His name is Paul Erickson. Now, Paul Erickson, who has given very, very few interviews, is from South Dakota. And so is journalist Paul Gladder, who's known Erickson for decades. I know, it's a lot of guys named Paul. Here's Paul Gladder to tell the story of how Paul Erickson got out of prison so much sooner than anyone expected. It's late one night in Minnesota in January 2021. The cold winter wind whips around a small, low-rise brown building covered in snow. The building is a federal prison, FPC Duluth. Club fed, some people call it, because it's minimum security, so it's almost like a college dorm. Inside, one inmate, Paul Erickson, sleeps fitfully in his bunk. Meanwhile, just down the hall, some of Paul's buddies are watching the news. Suddenly at 1 a.m., one of them is running toward Paul's cell. One of my buddies comes running down the hall and runs into my room, wakes me up. He's, Paul, Paul, wake up, you're on TV. Paul springs awake and rushes back down the hallway to see for himself. He stares at the screen, trying to figure out what's going on. At 8 o'clock that morning, I get paged to the counselor's office. And I walk into his office, and normally a very cocky, kind of confident guy. He kind of looks at me and says, uh, um, I, I guess you're going home today. Paul Erickson had just been pardoned by the president of the United States. The inveterate con man had somehow conned Donald Trump to let him walk out of a hefty prison sentence. I mean, you couldn't write a more poetic ending, and presidential pardons at Duluth were very rare. They had no idea you know, what was going on. I mean, <laughs> His lawyer had been working contacts, but a pardon seemed a slim possibility. The rumors were that around Christmas, the president was so angry he was ordering a rubber stamp with a signature on it so he could do 3,000 in a row. And then, 
going into last week. The number kept falling. On Tuesday night, I went to bed, and the rumor was no more than 50. And I just couldn't imagine that I would make the cut. Do you remember the last scene in the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? He was he was in an SUV driving across Texas. That's going to be me for the next two or three weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a thank you tour to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, starting in D.C., going to New York, and then ultimately winding up going to lawn in Mar-a-Lago. I think whatever they require. Thing is, the story of how Paul ended up in prison in the first place is even more interesting than the way he was sprung. My name is Maria Bettina. I am not a spy. What do Michael Flynn, Maria Bettina, and Paul Erickson have in common, among a long list of others? The Justice Department all threatened them. He did the two things that he claims that he did, and he lied and he stole. I was absolutely convinced he worked for the CIA or the NSA. Anytime you have 76 victims, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people whose lives are affected. So yes, we just started at the end of the story, with Paul Erickson getting pardoned by Donald Trump and sprung out of prison. And that will become a very big plot point later on. But now we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Because Paul Erickson has a crazy story. It's about sketchiness and Russian spies and even John Wayne Bobbitt, the guy whose wife cut his penis off with a knife. It's a story about a provocateur who went super high in life. And it's also a story of two people who fell in love, found something in each other, and maybe even conned each other. I'm going to let the journalist you just heard from, the other Paul, Paul Gladder, take it from here. Because he was close to Erickson before any of this happened. I knew Paul years before he had the pardon, years before he got into any of the stuff I just mentioned. He's from South Dakota, like me, and we've known each other a long time. He defines his life by his faith in God. He's a Lutheran, and he once told a South Dakota newspaper he bases his whole mission in life on a line from the Bible, for by grace ye are saved by faith. But was this really Paul Erickson's North Star? I knew Erickson had links to the Republican Party and lots of friends in high places, but I never had a clear understanding of what he did for a living. It would take me a long time to find that out. Because for as bold and brazen as Erickson was, he also shied away from the limelight. He preferred to be a puppeteer, pulling the strings offstage, out of view. He saw himself as the brains behind the throne. He rarely gave interviews to the press, which made the conversations we had all the more valuable and fascinating. And those conversations started way back in the late 90s on campus at the University of South Dakota. The first university in the Dakotas. The campus is in a little town called Vermilion. It had two grocery stores, nine bars, and a Democrat voter base, a liberal pocket and a vast sea of wide open spaces. I imagine I was wearing Doc Martin lace-up shoes, khaki cargo pants, and an oversized flannel shirt. I'm hanging out with my favorite political science professor. We all called him Doc, or Doc Farber, He was a Yoda-like man in his late 80s, just over five feet tall, wearing sweater vests and bolo ties and thick glasses that magnified his owly eyes. He'd spent six decades at the university and mentored legions of students. He was so beloved 
they built a statue to honor him while he was still alive. I was Doc Farber's faculty assistant. I'd shovel snow from his sidewalks, I'd drive him to meetings and help him with emails, and maybe in exchange, he asked me hard questions, offered career suggestions, and introduced me to interesting people. I loved going over to Doc Farber's. His living room had a 1970s textured green carpet, lazy boy swivel chairs, and a clunky console TV, which Doc tuned each evening to one of his most famous former mentees at the university. This is NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw. Good evening from London, from Buckingham Palace, where tonight this nation... It was here I met a guy sitting in one of the recliners, wearing a press shirt and jeans one day. He was bald on top with bushy Bozo the Clown hair on the sides. Paul Erickson. We started talking. It turned out that not only had Erickson gone to the University of South Dakota for a time, but he was actually from this same little college town, Vermilion. We had fun conversations, like this one about kids in South Dakota listening to radio while they were farming. They were driving in the parents' tractor in the field. Pick up truck in the field, yeah. <laughs> all they could do is listen to radio. And the farm kids, they don't know it, but they have, for the same reasons, more than basic knowledge of opera. Because every Saturday on NPR, you know, you're out in the field, they would play like an unedited full broadcast in the Metropolitan Opera House. It's just kind of funny, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and all of a sudden somebody would make some casual reference to, you know, uh, you know, Boheme or something and say, oh, yeah, there's the third act, and then Madame Butterfly, she died. And you're like, how would you know that? <laughs> as we talked, he revealed himself as a pretty unusual guy. My multiple corporate venture teams over a career that spans almost 40 years, five presidential campaigns, three democratic resistance movements around the world. I fought in three and a half wars, been wounded, brought down governments, installed you know, presidents. I was never sure how much of his story to believe, but at the time, I had no reasons to doubt him. It was obvious that Erickson was a firm Republican, and he wanted me to know that not only was he a Republican, but he was a prominent Republican whose opinion mattered. We sat out exactly 10 years ago last month at the Breakers in Palm Beach. And I to specifically like convened a discussion about who is the heir apparent to Rush Limbaugh a decade ago. We've never found one in a decade of looking. Limbaugh was a once-in-a-generation kind of talent. I mean, the license plates on Paul's car read R-T-W-I-N-G, right wing. It seemed like it all started when he was in college. He only spent a year at the University of South Dakota before transferring to Yale. This was back in the early 80s. Ronald Reagan was president. We, as Americans, have the capacity now, as we've had in the past, to do whatever needs to be done to preserve this last and greatest bastion of freedom. Russia was fighting a war in Afghanistan. Nuclear arsenals were bulging. After a nuclear war, the whole of Europe could become a vast, uninhabitable desert. No The Cold War was back in full swing and fear of communism was in the air. Against this backdrop, Erickson met a guy called Jack Abramoff. You guys were uh, part of College Republicans back in the day together, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was chairman, I was executive director. Abramoff would go on to become a lobbyist, get convicted of fraud, conspiracy, and tax evasion. 
and even be immortalized by Kevin Spacey in a movie no one saw called Casino Jack. I am legally allowed to accept money from special interests in order to influence Congress on their behalf. Back in college, Erickson and Abramoff bonded over their mutual hatred of communism. The two became friends and got up to classic college shenanigans, like burning Soviet flags and breaking down pretend Berlin walls with sledgehammers. Animal House meets Joseph McCarthy. Erickson soon took the fight against communism more literally. The summer before he graduated, he allegedly traveled to Afghanistan and delivered supplies to insurgents fighting the Soviets. But Erickson wasn't made to be a foot soldier. He was a wordsmith and a natural provocateur. By the time he graduated from Yale, he'd made a name for himself in conservative circles. And in 1984, he got national attention with a well-timed parody, like the kind you'd see on Saturday Night Live. At an event on the Reagan-Bush campaign trail, Erickson and the college Republicans were a warm-up act. Ghostbusters was topping the box office, so Erickson was wearing a tan work suit, goggles, and a proton pack. Erickson, full head of hair, speaks earnestly to a crowd of Republicans. A pair of white ski goggles rests on his forehead. America can be from that evil specter known as democratic darkness. Erickson and his crew then led the audience in a chant of Fritz Busters, a dig at Democratic nominee Walter Fritz Mondale. But this was just the beginning of Erickson's career. And what happened next was way crazier. That's coming up after the break. Anybody who has a sibling knows that sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince Harry and Prince William. They'd been each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wandry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds. And they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle? Or was it something that began much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com infamous. That's rocketmoney.com infamous. rocketmoney.com infamous. 
You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media. So, after graduating from college, like any good provocateur, Erickson took his passion for fighting communism to Hollywood. Dolph Lundgren is taking off his gloves. In 1987, Paul teamed up with his buddy, Jack Abramoff, to make an anti-communist movie called Red Scorpion. In it, Lundgren plays a Soviet soldier sent to kill an anti-communist rebel leader. But Lundgren turns on communism and ends up siding with the rebels. First he was their weapon. Now he's their punishment. Red Scorpion. Red Scorpion was based loosely on the life of an anti-communist guerrilla leader who received millions of dollars in U.S. aid to fight Angola's Russian-backed government. Red Scorpion. Jack was, he was officially listed as a producer. I wrote it and, and exec produced it. Ibramov filmed the movie in Namibia, which at the time was under the control of South Africa's apartheid government. By making the movie, Ibramov and Erickson broke a boycott of apartheid South Africa. Ultimately, Red Scorpion was a box office flop, but Erickson insists it did well at Blockbuster Video. Even so, Erickson didn't stay in the movie business for long. I am today declaring my candidacy for the Republican nomination for President of the United States. Erickson became the national political director for Pat Buchanan's presidential campaign. Buchanan was a somewhat fringe candidate, a populist, and a traditional Catholic family values paleo-conservative the long-term strategy to make America first again in manufacturing industry business the way we once were. Yeah, Buchanan used the slogan, Make America First Again, way back in 1992. Anyway, the campaign didn't get far, but it served its purpose for Erickson. He rubbed elbows with more Republican insiders. He met a lot of ambitious conservatives, like Kellyanne Conway, who would go on years later to become one of President Trump's closest advisors. And I work next to him every single day. You know what I see? I see somebody who's doing his best for this country and the results show it and you know it. Erickson said that Conway had interned under him on the Buchanan campaign and that he later helped her launch her polling company. But I actually had a chance to speak with Kellyanne after a lecture she gave in New Jersey recently. And when I asked her whether those things were true, she told me she never worked for the Buchanan campaign. She rolled her eyes when I mentioned that Erickson said he helped her launch her company. She said that all he'd done was give advice. For me, it was a reminder of the tall tales Erickson had been spinning for years. Erickson was living like he was in a pinball machine, pinging around from opportunity to opportunity. P.T. Barnum, always hunting for the next spectacle, trying to hitch his wagon. It's one of the most talked about stories of the year. The case has struck a nerve. The sordid details of a marriage gone berserk. This wasn't about a politician. The 24-year-old manicurist from Venezuela is accused of severing the penis of her husband, 26-year-old John Bobbitt, while he was sleeping. No, Erickson got a job as John Bobbitt's media advisor. Five-man jury heard the story of how Mrs. Bobbitt ran from their apartment with Mr. Bobbitt's penis in her hand and how the organ was reattached in a nine-and-a-half-hour operation. He capitalized on the attention and booked Bobbitt on an international Love Hurts tour almost immediately. Bobbitt was selling t-shirts, autographed steak knives, and even appearing on Howard Stern. So here was Erickson, cutting deals, organizing press tours, glad-handing at the Republican National Convention, 
and organizing youth Republican movements. And he would carry on much the same for decades to come, working behind the scenes in the GOP, until a new relationship took him back into the limelight. That's after the break. Back in the 90s, Pepsi and Coca-Cola were in a heated race to try and win loyal customers by any means necessary. But when Pepsi launched an ambitious promotion that encouraged people to buy Pepsi and redeem points for prizes, they overlooked their own fine print in a major way. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question. Who thought this was a good idea? Like, who at Pepsi thought it would be a good idea to advertise that people could earn enough points to redeem a military jet as a prize? When they launched their Pepsi points system, they never imagined somebody might actually try to snag it. But a 23-year-old did, and suddenly, Pepsi owed him a jet. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. This is Infamous from Campside Media. So when I knew Paul Erickson, I knew him to be a bachelor. Long-term relationships? Those didn't seem to be his M.O., at least until 2016. When I talked to him then, he kept referring to we, as in, we are helping Trump's transition team. The woman who allegedly turned this fervent anti-communist, this eternal bachelor, from an I to a we, was from Russia. A petite, red-haired woman who looked like a Slavic Lindsay Lohan. Her name was Maria Butina. I was born in Siberia. Such places like Siberia or far east of Russia, this is a question of survival. Everyone has a gun. This is very important. And it's not only just about criminals. It's about wild animals. So my father taught me and my sister how to shoot. She grew up in a small town closer to Kazakhstan and Mongolia than Moscow. A real frontier town sort of place. We have few uh, policemen. This is a big issue. So in the small villages in Siberia, if you call the police, it could take an hour for them to get to the place. So you will be killed three, ten times or even more. Maria says she'd opened a furniture store and got nervous handling large amounts of cash unarmed. Because in Russia, citizens aren't allowed to carry guns for self-defense. So Maria linked up with other people interested in gun rights. We made our organization, believe or not, in Russian version of McDonald's. We just sat together and decided that we have to, to defend our gun rights. They call the organization the right to bear arms. Now, gun rights aren't a mainstream issue in Russia like they are here. But within a few years of that first gathering, Maria would be at an NRA meeting. The NRA for us has always been an example because there is no more powerful lobbyist gun group in the world than the NRA. 
Learning from them was an honor. And it would be through the NRA that Maria would meet Paul Erickson. It was October 2013 in Moscow. Erickson was in town with his pal, NRA president David Keene. But they weren't there to visit the Kremlin or guzzle vodka and caviar. Keen had come to speak to the gun rights group run by Maria Butina. I think that freedom is very important and the basic of any freedom is of gun rights, economy, and I would like to bring this knowledge to Russia. Maria was in her 20s and she caught Paul's eye right away. A week after they met, Paul was already helping Maria apply for a visa to the United States. They exchanged emails. Soon, the pair got together again. They were falling in love. They hit it off. They kind of had a relationship. Here's Bob Driscoll, an attorney in Washington, D.C., who knows Maria well. They started a romantic relationship, and that's what kicked off her coming more to the U.S. They did long distance for a while, and in some ways, they were like any couple, doing the sort of cheesy things you do when you're in the honeymoon phase of a new relationship. Like when Paul went to visit Maria in Moscow, they recorded a duet of Beauty and the Beast. Both a little scared, neither one prepared, beauty and the beast. Apparently it was Maria's gift to Erickson for his birthday. Some haters said this was a little on the nose. All the while, Paul started helping Maria make contacts through the NRA and in U.S. politics. By 2015, Paul was mining new social networks at Yale alumni events and introducing Maria as his girlfriend. I didn't think that she was necessarily using him. I think she was generally of the view, not stereotype, that the American men treated women better than Russian men treated Russian women. I think she was very happy that Paul treated her well and was a good guy. They were a high-powered couple making waves in Republican circles. And to Paul Erickson, it must have felt like a dream come true which is why the red flags may have been easy to overlook. Like the fact that Paul Erickson was in his 50s with that side sprout bozo the clown hair. And Maria was in her 20s with lush locks and fashion model features. Not to mention that she was from a country that Erickson had once despised to the point of burning its flag. In this case, did love conquer all? Uh, maybe. But if you took all that into account, could it have looked less like puppy love and more like Maria was a red sparrow? Was she seducing Paul Erickson in return for access to powerful Republicans in America? Tune in next week to find out. Thanks for listening to Our Story on Infamous this week. We'll see you next week with more about Paul Erickson. I think Paul always was seduced by power. They pretty much took the view that she was a spy. And now, I guess I'm an inmate. Infamous is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's created, executive produced, and hosted by Gabriel Sherman and me, Vanessa Gregoriadis. Shoshi Shmulovitz is our managing producer and editor. Garrett Graham, Grace Heerman, and Lily Houston-Smith are our associate producers. This episode was written by Natalie Robamed, Paul Gladder, and Mary Kudahi, and edited by me and Rajiv Gola. 
Fact-checking by Marilyn Geish. Sound design by David Devereaux and recording by Ewan Leitremuet. This episode is based on public records and court records. See you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.